On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are talking about the urban boundary discussion. Wow. If you want to be on city council, this is the discussion to test your mettle. We will be talking about it. We're also talking about restaurants and prices. Uh, everyone is saying that costs to go out and eat are about to go up, including those running the restaurants. Matt Kershaw, legendary Hamilton chef, joins us to talk about that. And Steve Foxcroft will be here to talk a little bit of sports and other things after this. Stay with us. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. If you've been listening to the news today or if you've been listening on shows through the day today, you've probably heard something about the urban boundary expansion debate. And this might be one of those things that would make your eyes glaze over under normal circumstances. And it may still, uh, it's an important issue. It is definitely an important issue in this city. Uh, I will say this though, the debate began at 9.30 this morning. It is still going strong. I've got it on on my computer here. I'm not listening. I'm watching. They are still in the live delegations. Apparently there are 23 videotape delegations to handle after this before the debate among council even starts. It's important, but my goodness, is it mind-numbing. Uh, my first guest is a former mayor of the city who has put his name in to possibly be considered for the vacant Ward 5 seat left by Chad Collins. Uh, Larry Deany is with us. Uh, Larry, uh, I, when you watch this today, do you question your sanity about applying to, to be back on council again? Well, only every five minutes. <laughs> I don't, like, this is, this is an important issue, but my goodness, this can wipe out your gray matter i mean it really can you know asking people to sit down and focus for never mind 12 hours but perhaps this will break records and go 16 18 20 hours it's just brutal no one can function well doing that and uh, it might have uh, been better to organize it differently but they're at it. Uh, they seem to be paying attention and um, uh, we'll see what happens. Yeah. I mean, look, this is the beauty of local government in one sense, because people can have their say directly to those who govern and we don't want to discourage that. That's a very good thing. You don't get that at higher levels of government very often. But again, you talk about a meeting like this and I, Larry, I got to believe it's a deterrent to a lot of people who may have been interested in this to some degree. No one has stuck around to watch all of it so far, and nobody is going to. Well, I I watched uh, a few hours uh, this morning, went back to it a little bit this afternoon, and uh, it is. I mean, it's tough. Uh, a life goes on, and uh, and uh, you've got other things to do as well. But um, I just feel so badly for those counselors because they've got to pay attention. They've got to be respectful. Uh, they they need to not only because they've set up the process, uh, not only be there in person, but they they need to be there in mind. But the duration just makes it mind numbing, and uh, I don't know whether. It, it, good interests are served. It might have been spread over a few days. It might have made more sense, but they've decided to, you know, bite the bullets and have uh, the whole enchilada served at one time. Uh, and hopefully they'll have the stamina to, um, to have a good debate afterwards as well. They may, they may put that over to another date as well. Who knows? Yeah. Well, okay, for those who are just jumping in and have no idea what we're talking about, and I assume most people have some idea because it's been talked about a lot lately, but for the, this is a question of whether more vacant agricultural rural 
land should be freed up for homes instead of keeping it for farmland and therefore incur or or encouraging more people to intensify the number of people in the downtown and the core that already exists. Here's the problem I see with this, Larry. Um, I don't see how you come up with an answer here that's not going to enrage half the population. And I know they did a poll and I know it said 90% of Hamiltonians wanted the boundary to be kept. I don't believe that poll. I mean, I believe the numbers they got, but I don't believe it's reflective of a real sentiment across the city. I think the number would be way lower. Nonetheless, you're never going to make people happy no matter what you choose here. No. So just to give this some context, and it's positive context, and and your listeners should appreciate the fact that council, which is often criticized for being short-sighted, not playing the long game, not thinking about the future, but only thinking about the electoral cycle. What do I do in the next few years to get myself reelected? This exercise actually forces them to think 25, 30 years into the future, when I would venture to say even the youngest of them probably will not be on that around that horseshoe on, on, in that council seat, other than maybe Tom Jackson. He may be the exception, <laughs> but but you know you know what I mean. They're they're really making decisions for the future, and the decision is um, what happens to the population influx that that is scheduled to come. Where will they live? Where will they work? Where are we going to set aside uh, places for not only residents, but, uh, you know, businesses and industry and recreation and institutions like hospitals or schools and parks? So they're really engaged in long-term planning, forced, by the way, by the, by the provincial government that says every municipality has to do this. Mm. Of course, this being Hamilton... It's not just an exercise in long-range planning, it's polarizing. You hit on something that I think is so perfect and so so brilliant on this issue and many other issues in the city, and you talked about the polarization of this, and you know, as I've watched the delegates today, and I'm not taking shots at the delegates, I'm not, but it seems as though in this case, like in so many other debates we have in this city, we get into these massive fights because it's got to be either one complete extreme or the other complete extreme. We seem incapable for some reason, Larry, in this city of compromising on something and coming to a, a conclusion that we can all agree on. Yeah, the, the, uh, the reality is that people do take sides. And, uh, and those sides are polarizing because each side is trying to push the other to their to their own conclusion and whether we engage in debates about stadium or the red hill or in this case urban boundary expansion often it's the same players who come forward to stake their ground and I'm not sure that's uh, that's the wisest thing to do, but it is what we do as Hamiltonians. It is. And it is. And on both yeah. sides, on both sides, there seems to never or very rarely be any give. It's got to be 100% one way or 100% the other, or we just scream at each other. And and often the solution is in the middle. It's never those sure. ends, but it is in the middle. Uh, I mean, think, think about it, uh, especially in terms of LRT. Or, or the stadium debate, um, you know, what, what some people wanted, 
and what uh, eventually was uh, was agreed to are totally different things. And here, actually, staff has has offered a compromise solution. Um, I'm not sure that the councillors are really picking. Some of the councillors are really picking up on that, though. Well, uh, there's a whole lot of things. We have we have limited time. There's a whole lot of things that are going on with this one right now. I'll say one thing, Larry. Um, I, I was telling Scott Thompson before we came on the show, we do a little thing with Scott. If people were listening to his show before I started mine, I live in a house that once upon a time was on farmland. And as he pointed out, probably almost everybody in Hamilton, if you go back far enough, is living in a house that was on farmland at one time or another. But I live in a house that was on farmland and there are houses throughout my neighborhood with signs saying, stop the sprawl. And I look at that and I think, again, I, I get your point, but boy, it kind of seems like, well, why should you then be living in that house? If you, cause why stop it at you? Why should you be living in that house? And then no one else should be able to do this. I, it's a, the, the whole argument to me, it becomes so heated and becomes so personal somehow. And that if you are one of the ones who disagrees with me, you're wrong and probably more wrong. You're, you're just, you're looking to ruin Hamilton if you're not on my side. Yeah. And that's, that's the unfortunate part for sure. The reality, though, is that a decision is going to be made. Uh, and um, I, I heard some very good presentations. I didn't agree sure. with all of them, but I heard some very good presentations that people made. And a decision is going to be made. Hamilton is going to go forward. Hamilton is going to grow. Maybe it's going to grow in a different way than some people want. Uh, but, um, you know, we're poised for good things to happen in, in this community. And hopefully council will get it right. I'm not for a second suggesting that everybody who delegated on either side is wrong or uh, there have been, there have been some very educated, very well put together, very, um, very well thought through positions on this one. But I, again, having now there's been a survey or a poll or a petition or whatever you want to call it done. Um, if the, if council goes to expand the boundary, I guarantee you, there's going to be all kinds of people saying you're ignoring the will of the people. And if they don't expand the boundary, people are going to say, you're just listening to the activists. I don't know where the answer to this is, unless it is a compromise, but I don't even see much room in the two positions for a compromise. I'd love it to be, but I don't see it. The the only saving grace in this debate is that they're talking about planning for 25, 30 years from now, uh, 10-year chunks. So you're not going to see anything change for 10 years. Um, Decisions will be made one side or the other, and maybe both sides will be unhappy, but life will go on because it's unlike some of the other decisions like the Red Hill or the LRT, uh, the, uh, the, those decisions were imminent. You're starting to see, you know, the city buy property or start constructing a road. This one is 10 years hence, and we've got time to heal. What do you think does happen? I just said what I think will happen, but please feel free to differ if you if you choose. What will happen, depending on the answer here, will, even if they came to a compromise, even if council found, as you describe it, somewhere in that middle ground, do you think that satisfies many of the people who are actively engaged in this, or will that still not be good enough if there was a compromise? No, it won't be good enough for those who want no urban boundary expansion because they're saying if uh, if uh, you uh, give an inch, 
you've given in to the development industry and you've imperiled our farmland. So they're saying zero uh, in order to in order to uh, preserve what they think is important for the city. On the other hand, if uh, if council um, does not and and um, and says no urban boundary expansion, we agree with that side. Then you're disagreeing with staff, and you're also potentially disagreeing with the province, who's already said it's irresponsible to do what you're doing. And they're the final arbiter on this argument. So the province may impose a boundary that's, that's different. The other reality is that, you know, everybody talks about intensification as being a good thing. And I think it is personally as well. Unless you're the person in that neighborhood that's being intensified. Hmm. And we've got some examples of that happening right now where you're upset because people want to go higher than intended or they want to put more. Uh, uh, more high-rise buildings in a particular location. And so you go to council and you try to appeal that as well. So council's got to be very judicious in what they do here because although the impact will not be felt for 10 years and maybe 20 years, there will be a council in that day that's going to have to deal with the consequences of the decisions being made today. So you've got to be judicious in what you do. It is a uh, it is a fascinating topic, and if people are interested, uh, I don't know that they're halfway through yet. So there's lots of hours still to jump in and watch. It's on YouTube. Um, if you um, if your life really has lost most of its meaning, and you need to watch something that will, I don't know, it, Larry. I, I it's it's a tough one to watch right now. It is just it is so uh, heavy and so slow, but it is still going on and it will be going on for a while. And it is actually a very important topic. So we'll, we'll, we'll go there. Uh, Larry Deany, really appreciate the time today. Thank you. Thank you very much. I don't mean to make too much fun because it is, it is a really important topic and, and it is something that will have an impact on the city and on the future of the city one way or the other. It is just, this is, if you ever thought of going into municipal politics, this might be the day that would deter you from that forever because it has been a grind, let me tell you. And I have had, I have stepped away. I have taken breaks. I've had a shower. I've done, I've had a lunch. I've, uh, and I come back and it's still going and still going and still going. And the counselors have to sit there and take it all in and ask questions and be interested and be respectful and all that kind of thing. And it is still going. You're listening to the Scott Radley show podcast on 900 CHML read a story yesterday or today in the last little while anyway uh that quoted the president of a group called restaurants canada it's a group that looks after people who run restaurants advocates for them uh it he says prices at restaurants are going to skyrocket go up by more than double digits or at least into the double digits in the next little while and not because the owners of every restaurant out there are greedy you've got food inflation You've got minimum wage increases. You've got interest rates that are we're hearing about to start rising, which could lead to rent increases as other people who own the buildings, their mortgage goes up. All these things go into what you are or will end up paying for what you purchase on the menu. Matt Kershaw is one of Hamilton's absolutely top chefs, one of its best at this. Uh, he is the guy behind Rapscallion and The Mule and Burro and I like singing that one and Hunter and Company and the Arlington Hotel. And I've probably forgotten a bunch of other places that he has helped to create. Uh, he joins us now. Matt, how are you today? I'm, uh, I'm doing great, actually. Yeah. 
Excellent. And I should have mentioned also a guy who won Chopped Canada, a big TV star as well. So, I mean, he's done everything. He's You've done everything in cooking now. So that's, uh, you know. I guess um, I should retire, right? No, 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 no. Not until everyone has eaten your food. I mean, come on. Okay. We've, we, people good, have to get good. out there and test your stuff. Uh, the president of Restaurants Canada, as I say, um, and there are other industry leaders talking about this as well. Um, are, are they exaggerating or are things when it comes to running a restaurant getting very, very pricey? I, I read the same article, and uh, to be honest, I thought they were being relatively modest in where I think prices are going to go. Mm. Yeah, I, I, they, they were they were talking like low teens in the in, in price increases. You know, we're talking. You know, if something was fifteen dollars, it might become like fifteen seventy five or something. Mm. And from what I'm seeing and what I'm talking to my suppliers and seeing logistics and the wage pressures, rent pressures, I wouldn't be surprised to see a bigger jump than that. What happens when those prices do go up? Do you anticipate that it affects business? I mean, we're all talking about it. We're all very aware that um, money's getting tight. I mean, yes, the, the market was flooded with you know, new money in the last couple of years, but uh, everything has gone up so much and we all know it. Do I know what's going to happen to other restaurants? No. Um, so far, we haven't seen anyone. Um, our numbers have been really good. Uh, now that, you know, some of the COVID restrictions and people getting vaccinated and business has been great. I, I'm not, not going to lie. It's been very good and, and our prices have gone up. So, so far, um, I haven't seen too much um, negative response to price increases, but it's been necessary to keep, uh, to keep mm-hmm. the doors open. And it, look, it's encouraging that you haven't seen it yet. And I don't want to be the, the, the naysayer here, but there's got to be a point, a certain point at which some people are going to say, look, I, I can't cook like, like Matt can, um, but also uh, I also can cook at home and it may not taste as good as when I go out, but I'm going to have to cut back or go out a few less times than I normally would because it's just getting expensive. I think that's a totally fair take on it. And I, I agree. Um, maybe over the year you, you go out a few less times for sure. Uh, are we going to see a little tightening in the number of restaurants? You know, that's a possibility. Does it become more of a special treat as opposed to a three, four time a week kind of thing? Um, these are definite possibilities. Where this is going to end, are we going to see any relief in pricing? Are we going to see any help, you know, from the government in the form of maybe some relief on, uh, you know, wholesale alcohol? Um, I'm not expecting it right now, but I'm going to cross my fingers. And I guess now is probably not the time to worry too much because we're coming up to the Christmas season. We're beginning to move into that, and that's when people are going to be eating out. I'm guessing January, February is when this is going to be really tested. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to say. Everyone, you know, with COVID still being the specter that it is, you know, um, are we seeing uh, holiday bookings this year? Yes, we are, uh, unlike last year. Um, Will there be, you know, we know COVID's going up. Is there going to be a response to that? I don't know. I I hope not. Um, I Mm. hope things stay under control and I hope everyone's vaccinated and it doesn't become a problem. Um, And then come January, well, I don't know, you know. um, (laughs) There is a lot of question marks. Currently, my belief is that people have really been missing having a good time. Like, if you go out to restaurants right now, it sounds great. It sounds like it used to. There's a lot of laughter, a lot of, you know, chinking of glasses and people having a good time. And I think people really miss that. So I don't think they're going to give it up easily. I'm guessing a lot of people don't come up to you because of the level 
that you've attained in the business and, and the stature that you have as a chef. I'm guessing a lot of people don't come up to you and say, Matt, you're being really greedy by raising your prices like you are, but you've said you've talked to other people in the business. Are sure. they hearing that? Are they hearing people not pointing to the pressures that are going on for the raise prices, but looking at it saying, Hey, we're coming out of COVID and you, you chefs, you restaurateurs are trying to make up for lost money by gouging us. Is that going around? I mean, I've heard it a little bit overall. No, I would say most people are completely empathetic and understand what's happened. Um, they understand that we've taken on a, a mountain of debt that we did not have before. And then everyone knows the logistics have gone crazy. Like the supply system right now is very weird. Um, and the cost of some things is hard to believe. You know, I mean, everyone's seen the example of fryer oil over doubling. You know, fryer oil should be a relatively cheap commodity, but over doubled in, in less than a year, which is, you know, that, that affects your price of chicken wings. And not to mention the price of chicken wings has been crazy. So depending where you go, it's true. I, I do have a certain uh, type of restaurant that's a little um, more special occasion, I would say. So we, we will, I think, less affected because uh, most people aren't coming because of price to our places. Um, so I imagine if you're competing on price, it's going to be more difficult for sure. I saw something today and I was very surprised by this and I don't know that this is indicative of reality and I don't know if you're wanting to talk about this, but what kind of margins does a typical restaurant run? Like as far as profit margin on top of after you paid for everything else, what are you looking at? So if you hear a restaurant makes double digits, if they get 10% or higher, they're doing awesome. Um, Basically, Restaurants are looking to be above zero percent. I know that's probably not the, the, the <laughs> just don't lose money. A lot of us do it for love, right? So for not losing money, we're like, hey, that's pretty good. Um, and there's some benefits to owning a restaurant too. So I would say the average successful restaurant is somewhere between four and eight percent um, profit. So wow. it's, it's it's tricky. There's not a lot of there's not a lot of room. You got you have to be very good at business. Um, you know, a lot of chefs get into it and they love making food and maybe they're not good at business. Luckily, I have an excellent business partner, so I can make great food and she makes sure we make money. Um, but there's not a yeah, lot. You've got to be, you got to take this very seriously. You got to know your numbers. You can't be casual with everything right. All the prices rising right now, like dramatically, um, you got to be really on top of it. I mean, look, 4% is, uh, is not much of a profit and that's not much of a, of a wiggle room when things do go up. No, no. If you're not paying attention, this could put you under. So how do you counter it, Matt? I mean, assuming that prices are still rising and everything we're hearing, and I, again, I don't want to be all negative, but everything we're hearing is this is going to continue, if not in the long term, certainly for the next little while. How do you counter this? I mean, so a lot of people are going to say things like we're going to tighten down and do better on food costs and labor costs and this, that, and the other. We've done all that, like, as much as you can reasonably do um, always, and especially over the last couple of years, uh, we are going to be raising our prices. I, I, I don't think there's, it's good. It's the reality. Everyone's going to be raising their prices. There's no question about it. Uh, you do make unbelievable food uh, just quickly. Cause I don't think I included all of them to list off the restaurants that you are involved with right now. So people can go and look you up and try some of your food. <laughs> So if you need some tacos, we've got the Mule and uh, in Hamilton and Borough in Burlington. And if you're looking for an interesting, wonderful, more fine dining meal, we have Rapscallion & Co. in Hamilton. And then the Arlington Hotel 
in Paris, which is a beautiful little town if you're looking to, for a weekend getaway. And then down in London, Ontario, uh, we have Hunter & Co. And we may have recently signed a new lease uh, somewhere else, but I can't talk about that yet. There you go. Matt Kershaw, uh, excellent chef, one of uh, one of the best in this area and, and almost any other area. Matt, really appreciate the time today. Thanks for doing this. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's uh, a reality, right? I mean, if you're going to eat out, uh, you're going to pay more. And who doesn't like, especially with, we haven't been able to eat out for so long. And so everyone's dying to go. And then, man, it's always something, isn't there? There's always something. But if you are going to eat out, Matt's restaurants are a great place. Uh, just letting you know, he very, very good. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Rick Westhead, guy from TSN, has been doing some amazing reporting in the last number of weeks, <clears throat> excuse me, about the Chicago Blackhawks and the sexual assault situation there and the player who was abused. And that the guy who is at the center of this as the not the victim as the person who did this, uh, went on to a high school where he volunteered and apparently sexually assaulted a student there. And when this story broke the other day, the NHL had said, well, we don't know what we're going to do about that other kid, whether we're going to jump in and help with counseling or whatever else. Well, here is what Rick West had tweeted out today. Update. The NHL has informed a lawyer for John Doe 2 that the league will not cover costs of counseling slash therapy for him and his family. An NHL employee wrote in the email, the league will leave that matter for the Blackhawks to manage, John Doe 2's lawyer said. I want to bring in Steve Foxcroft. Love having Steve on here, guy who comments on sports, he referees, he officiates, he supervises, all those kinds of things. Steve, how are you today? I'm doing good, Scott. I Listen, I'm singing the song. I want to hear you sing it, but... I know the words to that, but I'm not going to say it. Okay, you know that, first of all, I could never hit that note. And I did not know what the lyrics were until today when I looked it up. And that's, uh, hence the question. We'll get to that at the end of the show. I'm an 80s person. (laughs) So I look at this story that the NHL has found itself in. And look, I don't believe that, I don't believe that initially this was the NHL's fault as a league. This was something that happened with the Blackhawks. They should have looked after it, but this has landed in the NHL's lap now in a big way. And I simply, Steve, can't understand, assuming Westhead's report from today is now accurate, and I have every reason to believe that it is because he's been bang on with this. This seems like the easiest thing in the world for the NHL to say, there's a victim here we just fined the Blackhawks $2 million. That would more than cover all the counseling and therapy this person could ever use, even if it's not legally our fault as a league. We are going to do something to help this person because we believe that he deserves to be helped. How, how as a league, do you not manage the message better and not as a PR move, if nothing else, handle this better? And especially when Gary Bettman is very calculated when he speaks, always, and especially on this topic. He waited a couple days, he gathered himself, and when he spoke, he actually came across pretty good, pretty eloquently and so on. And you're right, to put it back onto the Blackhawks, this is a big, just a PR, it's a PR failure, but it's just a human failure, too, like uh, on the human side of things. And, you know, it's like them saying, remember when the, before they had nets up 
behind the, the right. net, um, behind the nets. And then someone, a, a young girl got hurt, like she was killed, killed. in Columbus. Yeah. And it's almost like saying, well, no, no, we'll let Columbus just deal with that. You know, like it's not, it's along those lines. Like you're talking about uh, just the saddest of stories here. And, and it involved a player, but now it involved a high school kid. Like the one thing we have as a treasure is our, is our young people and we have to protect them. And in, in this changing, changing times. Right. And, I just think it's a massive faux pas and a huge swing and a miss by the league on this one. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. And I can't understand how they could miss this badly because, Steve, even if the NHL says, look, somehow, and I don't think that this would put them in legal jeopardy if they said this wasn't the NHL. The Blackhawks told us that this was not a big issue and this is not an NHL thing, but we want to show our humanity and therefore we're going to do this. But even if the NHL was not going to get involved, holy cow, would you not have already spoken to the Blackhawks and said, do this so that we can announce something is being done? That's, That's the right. part I don't get. How could you, if you're going to dump it back on the Blackhawks, make sure they have their thing lined up already so that you don't all look bad. It Everybody looks bad now. And, and even if you, it's almost like now at this point, if your other teams, so say if you're the new Kraken coming into the league, you're the uh, any of the other teams. It's almost like you want to step up at this point and kind of go above the league in this example and sort of say, you know what? We understand what the league said. We understand what this has happened, but but we understand the issue here. So we're going to get involved. You know, we're the Boston Bruins. We're the Buffalo Sabres. We're the Toronto Maple Leafs. We're the Red Wings. We're going to get involved on an individual basis. Um, you know, the Red yeah. Wings would be good because it's, it's Michigan. Well, I'd love to see what would happen and how it would be dealt with by the league if a, an individual player, I mean, not everybody in the NHL makes a fortune. I mean, relative to the average person they do, even a minimum wage player is making close to a million bucks. But, you know, a lot of these guys who are making five or six or seven million dollars, honestly, I, how much could looking after a young boy's, a young man's, therapy cost over the course of a, a year or two. I mean, you know, in, it'll be in the thousands unquestionably, but some player that decides to step up and say, I'm going to look after this. A, he becomes a hero, but B, I wonder if the league would say, what are you doing? You're making us look bad. Yeah. Because there's, you know, with this too, the therapy and all that, it, it really, it puts you in a good light of and how you want things to go forward and how you want this young boy to recover and all that. And, you know, when we've seen Kyle Beach speak too, um, you can tell how much this has affected him. And he's, he's an adult at this stage. And, but boy, something like this is just so tragic and, mm. and trauma filled. So it's very difficult to see. And, uh, you know, these are difficult conversations to be had, right? And these are things that people do probably want to shy away from. But in today's society, it's it's more and more prevalent. And we have to have these discussions. And more so, we have to protect our young people. It is. Um, it, and also, you know, we have to protect our humanity. And, and, and you know, you've got someone who has been harmed and for, for the nhl even if and I, i'm not pointing the finger of blame for the behavior of the 
villain here of the accused. I'm not pointing my finger of blame at the NHL for what he did. He is responsible for what he did. But the fact that he was in, in um, employed by an NHL team and the stuff mm. that happened, you now have a responsibility. And, and I don't believe, and I'm not a lawyer, I don't believe the NHL would put itself in jeopardy legally by helping this guy. I don't. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't believe that, you know, sometimes I say, don't apologize or that's admitting guilt. Mm. We already know there's guilt. That's already been decided that there's guilt. So and and even if you come forth and state that too, like, hey, you know, even though we're not directly involved, we want to step up and help because we feel it's the right thing to do. Yes, right? and yes, but just to keep piling it back onto the Blackhawks, I think it also it keeps the spotlight on the Blackhawks organization, and I think it it stops them from moving forward too. And you know, Rocky Wirtz, you kind of feel the owner of the Blackhawks. He, you know, it, it came out that he wasn't aware of the situation as well. And, and he's even, he's done his best to step up, right, to do what's right. But at this point, too, like, get the, get the spotlight shining more on what's important and not just keep piling it on the Blackhawks organization. And, you know, the people, I'm sure, too, feel very badly about how they should have acted, how they did act, and, you know, their decision-making back then. And, you know, a lot of us at business, sometimes things come across your desk that it's uncomfortable and, and in a way, something you're not ready to handle or trained to handle. And at some point, too, you may have to reach out for professional help from people smarter than us uh, in, in, that are more capable of handling it. Yeah. All right, uh, let's pivot a little bit, although it's... See, I don't think this next one is in the same line. Some people argue with me on that one, and that's okay. Um, there was a... Uh, so uh, Cole Caulfield is a prospect with the Montreal Canadiens. And last year in the playoffs, he had a great playoffs. He was new up in the NHL, came up and was on fire. And uh, he's had a struggle to the start of this year. And so he's playing in the AHL now, and he was playing last night or the night before against Utica, against the Utica Comets. And I guess Cole Caulfield was not really having much of an impact on the game. And so the Utica Comets front office or media team or whatever decided to poke a little fun at the super prospect. And they said, yo, Cole Caulfield, are you here? They said this on Twitter. Yo, Cole Caulfield, are you here? Everyone keeps saying you're here, but we haven't noticed. Did you not play the first period? And they're, you know, they're jabbing at the guy who is supposed to be the next great player. Well, Cole Caulfield's father apparently has gotten quite upset with this and says that that is the Utica Comets bullying his son. Is that bullying? Boy, you know, I have to say social media for me is all about entertainment. And I try and stay away from those the dark side of social media, which, you know, is, I guess, a lot of social media. And, you know, some of these teams now, I applaud their efforts in just being, frankly, hilarious with some of the things they come up with. So now we have parents getting into it, right? And not to bring it up or change the subject to the Beckham, Beckham Jr. with Beckham Sr. with the Cleveland Browns talking and all that, but but this father too, when you're an athlete, at some level, when you go out there, now, at what point does the heckling from the stands, from the paid customers, 
does it end there or do we allow it to go into a social media situation? Well, and, let me ask you that, Steve. I mean, look, if this is, if this is bullying, if a, if a social media post saying, Hey, you're not playing well, if that's bullying, are fans in the stands yelling stuff at you? Is that bullying? I think that's taunting, bullying. That's all kinds of things, right? And we've we've allowed that to a certain level over the years. I even enjoy in the pregame warm-ups, some of the fans come down and have great signage that they hold up to the glass in a hockey game or something like that. And some of that probably is off, off, offline maybe, but... But I just, I tend to not think that. Like at some point we have to be, we have to kind of pull up our britches a bit and say, look, we're doing okay here. We're, we're playing a game for a living and we're doing okay. And, and you got to have a little bit of thick skin at some point. And how many times, like I'll tell you, as a referee, I've been in, I've been in the stands and heard a lot of things when you've been bullied have been you, out there. And so by that, have thick skin. Steve, by this definition, then as a referee, you've been bullied. See, I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't call this bullying and it may be mean and it may be critical and it may be even unkind, but I don't call it bullying. I, I don't, it's not, it, it, this is to me, this is, you know, fans are in the stands or whatever else there's, there's, it, it's part of the atmosphere. It's part of getting on the other mm-hmm. team. It's like booing the other team if they score or whatever else I, it's just, to me, this just isn't, it's not the same. A kid who goes to school and has other kids making it miserable for him to be at school and fearing for his mental health or his physical health, that, that to me is bullying. Right. People booing you or making a comment about you as a professional athlete. I, I'm sorry. I just, again, people can disagree. I don't call that bullying. That to me is not bullying. That's just being well, a professional athlete. Have fixed skin right just have thick skin and so let me ask you this in the monday night football game last night was that taunting (laughs) so okay so people who don't know this story and it's a great one um a player for the chicago bears sacked ben roethlisberger the quarterback for the pittsburgh steelers it was a key play in the game and he got up and he celebrated and then he yelled something over at the pittsburgh bench and the referee not only then, Steve, weirdly yeah. hip-checked the guy and then threw a flag for taunting. And no, no, I, I like, again, I go with your thick skin idea. It's like, yeah. really, you're being paid that kind of money. You've chosen to be, no one's forced you to be playing in the NFL. You've chosen to be on that kind of stage. Surely your feelings are not going to be that hurt by someone saying something to you. Come on, in the middle of a game. Come on. And, and how far from the bench was he too? Like he's out in the middle of the field. He wasn't like running over, getting in someone's face, dancing over them or anything like that. And, and, and how about the referee, Tony Carente? I think the Utica Comets could use him on their AHL D uh, D line with that hit. You know, it was, yeah, it was very weird. The whole thing was weird. And what was left out of the whole discussion was apparently, I didn't even realize this, the guy who got flagged for, taunting had been cut by Pittsburgh a couple of months ago. So he's yelling something over there about how I'm sure you screwed up by cutting me. Look, yeah, you know, see what I've did. Um, I just, I don't want to say, I don't want to take the line that everyone's become so soft, but sometimes boy, it does seem like that. Like it, it does seem sometimes like 
you if you're being paid the kind of money you are and you've chosen this line of work and it's an emotional game suck it up deal with it if someone says something mean to you they're not in the NFL I really don't think that 99.999% of the time or in hockey they're bullying you it's the it's the give and take of the game and it's the emotion of the game and if it continues on afterwards or if in the dressing room guys are all over you all the time or whatever different story but in the field no come on you know i always think this as a ref too with my referee background i think stuff like this you know immediately if it's wrong it's not something that you even there's not even a white line that you cross or anything like that i think you know immediately and sure and really i think the dad the dad has to dial it back a little bit too right like you know, like what about when they get to the NHL level and all that? It's going to get a lot worse. You know? Well, and yeah, now here's the, here's the thing. I don't believe that Cole Caulfield in this case, I don't believe this was bullying, but I do believe dad now has probably put a target on the kid so that he may get even more abuse now because everyone now knows you can get under Cole Caulfield's skin if you just say some things to him. And that's going to throw him off his game. And if you're wanting your team to win, I think dad has made it way worse for his kid by saying this. You know, I agree. As soon as you get a reaction, these people know it. And then they, they're all over it. It's almost like, you know, in, in the NBA, you go to a Raptor game and they throw the little thunder sticks behind the net when they're shooting free throws. Well, as soon as you miss a free throw, what do the 500 people behind the net think? They think that they caused it. So they're just going to get even more rowdy. Yeah, I, I you know, I, I saw this in a note. I, I hope that it wasn't his dad. I, I hope that this is sort of a miss, uh, a note that got misaligned. I hope it wasn't because we saw, you know, with Mitch Marner's dad, there's been stuff that apparently his dad's been said to be very involved. We saw with Eric Lindros. I mean, I, I hope yeah. that it turns out that this, that someone got it wrong, that it wasn't Cole Caulfield's dad, that nobody said it was bullying that this has just been somehow a misprint and that someone just told Utica to take this tweet down, which they did because right. it was not really nice. But, you know, uh, bullying, mm, no, I, I just don't see that. No, I, do, I agree to get a little more thick skin. And, you know, you're doing something that everyone in the crowd wishes they could do. Like, let's face it, that's why you get attendance at these things. Because you're able to perform something, you have a skill level that none of us regular humans have, and we all wish we could be in your shoes or skates or whatever and be out there. So we, we really idolize you, and maybe we're a little jealous of you. So let us have that a little bit. Get some thick skin. Yeah, I, I, I yeah, I, and again, I mean, I, I, that is not to say we got to run. That's not to say that bullying doesn't happen even in professional sports. It can, you can be. What was the um. The, the the famous one with the Miami Dolphins, the offensive line, um, oh. you know, where there was a case where they said that that was a bully. So it can yeah, happen. Was, it's not that yeah. it can't happen. It's just that I don't know that a tweet is considered bullying. I think if, if oh. we're going to, if we reach the point where now a tweet is counted as bullying, we have yeah. lowered the definition of bullying to a level where any criticism of anyone for any reason is bullying. And I think that undermines the problem of bullying that actually exists and you can no longer solve it because it just becomes ridiculous. Yeah, we have to, we can't go overboard on this kind of stuff. Steve Foxcroft, yeah. always appreciate the time, sir. Thank you for doing this today. Uh, 
I'll, I'll leave you with this, Scott. Please. Always a pleasure, and I'll talk to you in a day or two. There you go. Have a good one. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.